0: last night, and we, uh, we saw a number of young people put their lives in the hands of Jesus. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've come to realize as I, as I watch people respond to the call of Jesus, there's a whole spectrum. There's your first-timers, never heard anything about the gospel whatsoever. There's your people that have... I heard about the Bible, and I heard about God's love, and blah, 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 but it's been presented legalistically, or whatever else, and they, they hate Jesus, or they hate God, or they can't understand God, like why would God do all this stuff? And then you have people who, they gave their lives to Jesus some time ago, and they walked with Jesus for a while, and then they sort of fell away, or they didn't know what else there was. And so they don't really live with Jesus front and center. And then there's those people who they walk with Jesus day by day. And, you know, it's, every day is a, a new day, a new part of the adventure. And every day they get up and they say, Jesus, I'm yours. So there's that whole spectrum. And, and I've learned as I am blessed to present the invitation, who here wants to respond to the call of Jesus. We see all these different people, some making recommitments, some saying yes again as part of their personal journey, some saying yes for the first time, some saying the God that I knew and didn't like, this this is a different God. Wow. So anyway, we saw the call of the Spirit of God go out into our gathering last night and numbers of young people said yes to Jesus. And he's uh, making his impact. Talked with one of those young people this morning. And she said, I went home and I prayed what you told me to pray. Pointed my heart to God. And I'm experiencing his touch. That is so powerful to me. You know, uh, I was out, in, out west of here last week. And I had the privilege to share and it was an interesting uh, experience. And I, I'm just going to talk a little bit this morning. When I started my sharing, I I had a a woman walk up to me at the coffee break. She said, I I just flat out didn't want to be here this morning. Oh, i got to go and sit with this guy and listen to this speaker for two days. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to do this. But the pastor said I had to. So she was part of a leadership team. (laughs) Anyway, you can sympathize now with the pastor. But as we began... The Holy Spirit entered the room, and He began to share with us through the teachings. And I invited the, the, the people that were there to engage in that process. And God began to move. And this very woman who um, had not wanted to be there, had tried to get out of it, she became one of our most excited people. She said, I, I've never experienced the love of God before. I've never felt the, the presence of God before. It's all been up here. I have experienced the sense of God's presence since the moment we began. I don't know how to make that stuff happen. That's one of my big challenges as a speaker. Is, you know, one of my, the, the biggest fears that I have is that uh, I come here and I spend my time up here performing for a bunch of people and trying to impress y'all. Um... And so I pray, God, please protect me from doing that. If I have nothing to say, then I get to sit down right away. I had a guy in my first church, that's what he told me one time after the sermon. Boyd, I want to give you some, some advice. Oh yeah, what's that, George? He says, say what you got to say and sit down. <laughs> Best advice I ever got in my life, right? Anyway, so I watched this lady um, experience a touch of God and it changed everything for her. We fast forward in the weekend as we rolled into the the weekend event, which was for the larger community. And there was a lady sitting down in the front row, probably right over here, uh, in relation to me. And she began to weep. And as I was teaching my material on forgiveness, we were doing a forgiveness thing. She grabbed me at the coffee break and she said, when you were talking, all I could see was my son standing in front of me. And she said, I need to forgive my son. And she began to weep. She said, I didn't know I need to forgive my son. I said nothing about her son. But the Holy Spirit reached down into her life and touched her and showed her the face of her son and gave her a realization that she did not have walking in the door. The end of that session, another woman came up to me and she said, I was reminded of when I was raped. And she said, I thought I'd forgive him. She said, I didn't forgive anything. She said, It's still all there. It's like this presentation has brought it all up. All the pain is still there, everything. Like I buried it, forgotten it, and now it's back. What do I do? And I said to her, You know, forgiveness is always a miracle. You can never, ever forgive unless God's Spirit comes and touches you and helps you do just that. That is a miracle. So I said, can we pray? I got a text from her here a couple of days ago. She said, thank you for the tools. She said, I'm using them. God's bringing up more stuff. And I'm experiencing His freedom. It's amazing, amazing to me. You know, when all of this tracks back to Jesus, what I want to share with you a little bit comes from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to talk a little bit about Mary this morning. And then I'm going to share with you a little bit from John chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus this morning. But I have a question for you this morning as a gathering. And you know what? Before we do that, I want us to just pray. As we pray, I want to invite you. If there is hunger in your heart for God, I want to invite you to point your heart to Him and let that hunger come to the front. That hunger, that expectation, that need for God is called faith. It is what the woman who touched Jesus' cloak had. That sense that I need you, Lord. And as a gathering, we point our hearts to God with that hunger, with that desire. There has to be more. And Lord, I'm looking to you for that. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we come this morning and we bring to you the faith that we have. Your word says all have been given a measure of faith. Lord, we don't know how much that is, but we we offer what we have to you, the hunger of our hearts, the desire of our hearts for you to come here. Come, Lord Holy Spirit. We say yes to you this morning. Come, Lord Holy Spirit. Bring the presence of Jesus to us. Open your word to us. Sharpen that word. Touch our hearts. Lay us bare. And speak into that your calling. Lord, we love you. And we need what you have. We need who you are. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you, and and as I read the, the material this week, uh, this is what stood out for me. If God came to you and said He wanted to use you to bring someone into the world who would change everything, what would you say? If God came to you and said that He wanted to use you to bring someone into this world that would change everything, what would you say? I'm reminded of a young lady I met a number of years ago. I was at my first church and I was doing a youth conference. And we had about 60 young people there. And, you know, we were doing games and we were doing talks. We are doing all this other kind of stuff. And it was great. This one young lady showed up, she kept herself apart from the group, and she sat in the back. And uh, through the first session that I taught, uh, she wept. And she didn't weep happy, if you get what I'm saying. She looked like she was sitting back there, grinding her teeth, not liking any of this stuff. And I thought, she's gone, you know, just being polite, sitting there until I'm done. Anyway, we finished a session, she came back for the next session. Through the next session she sat, wept. And looked, just looked awful. She looked like she was really struggling. So I finally approached her and I said, how are you doing? Not good. Can I help? No, get out, basically get out of my face, right? That's what she said. She said it, no, she pretty much said it that graphically. (laughs) Leave me alone. Okay, so I just left her alone. Because she shared God's word throughout that weekend. I think there were about five sessions. She sat through all five of them. She kept herself aside the whole time. At the end of the session, she walked up to me and she said, everybody in my life has betrayed me. Every man in my life has betrayed me. She says, I'm here to check out this God you speak about. I've heard that he loves me. And she says, if he loves me and if he is dependable, he will get all of me. But I am not going to make it easy. Really struck me. Because, you know, there are so many people in our lives that betray us. We come oftentimes with these expectations. And yet there's this hunger in our heart to give ourselves to someone who will love us. There's a hunger in our hearts oftentimes to be used by God to bring that love to others. Well, I watched this young woman grow and she stuck with us over the next number of a couple of years. And she walked, and and it was not easy, man. She grudgingly gave God herself bit by bit by bit, and He transformed her life. It was an amazing thing to watch that call happen in her life. You know, God, I think, put this in her heart. He had somehow laid on her heart that I want to... do something, I want to pour someone into your life that will change everything, what will you say to me? Well, suppose saying yes to God would cost you, I think about Mary, the story of Mary um, sort of goes like this, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There's a space in my Bible here. I think it's the space where Mary had to stop and think for a moment. And she said this, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Some translations say uh, say it this way, may it be done to me as you have said. That was Mary's response. Now in that moment of thinking that Mary did, um, she had to weigh what the cost was. And I'm going to say to you that she didn't fully understand what the cost was. Who here you've given your life to Christ and what has happened in your life since has not been what you expected. Well, that would be me, and many of us here, right? Suppose saying yes to God would cost you. It would cost you reputation. It would cost you friends, and it would cost you your future as you have planned that future. Who here has planned your future? I planned my future. That future was gone years ago. It has not looked the way I had planned it. If you knew that this commitment to Jesus... Would cost you all of that? What would you say? I found it interesting because I asked these two questions to the youth last night. With the first question, I saw the hands go up in the air as they begin to respond. If God wanted to use me to bring someone into the world that would change everything, I would say yes, was their response. Yeah, but suppose it cost you. Reputation, friends, your future as you planned it. Who would respond? And the hands continue to go up in the air. Which says to me that there was a pile of young people with us last night. Their future is not fulfilling. It is not something to look forward to. It is... It is They're willing to trade that off. Hmm. Anyway. Let's look again at the story of Mary. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to this virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So she had her future planned. She had it laid out. Um, and, and in the middle of all those plans, this virgin's name, it says, was Mary. And, and the angel confronted her or, or spoke to her, revealed himself to her, says, greetings, you who are highly, highly favored. And this is what we see, the interaction between the angel. There's initially a revelation. And I want to say to you that that's what God does with us, too. He comes and He gives us a revelation. Maybe you haven't had that revelation. Well, it's not just about seeking it. You know, I can tell you, go home and seek that revelation. Pray for that revelation, whatever it is. God didn't... I, we don't have that recording in the Scripture, anyway, that God told Mary to seek. Mary was busy planning her own life, and God came and broke in on that and gave her this revelation. And this is the revelation... Highly favored one. God's favor is upon you. What does that mean? Well, we just heard a testimony about a job, right? God's favor is upon you. Well, we weren't really seeking the job. We weren't really sending out the resumes. And God touched someone, brought them into your life. That is God's favor. How He looks at your need and takes care of you and your need. We need to understand... That God has plans for our life. Ephesians 2.10. He has thought long and hard about us. He has designed us. He has intended us. And He is for us. I think about Jesus. Who said, you know what? Go learn what this means. I desire compassion. Not sacrifice. I am not interested in you paying for what you've done. Or compensating for what you've done. Any of that stuff. He says, I have plans for you. I think about... When my first son was born, they laid him in my arms. And he squeaked and he made noises and there were smells and there were a bunch of other things. And I looked at him and I began to fall in love with him right away. Oh, I had plans for him. We had plans for him. This is the God that we serve. He comes to reveal, I have plans for you. So whatever that revelation is, I'm going to say to you that you don't have to go perform for God. You don't have to pray for 1,600 hours. You don't have to read your Bible 42 times from front to back. If you do that, I'm sure you will be blessed, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't read your Bible and don't pray. But I'm saying to you that you don't have to perform to get God to reveal himself to you. God, I offer you the hunger of my heart. It is enough. And God seeks you out and he says, I want to reveal something to you. Well, there was a reaction to that. The reaction, Mary did not jump up and do cartwheels. It says she was greatly troubled. Some uh, translations said she had a fear response. She, she reacted in fear. She was greatly troubled. That means like heart-rendingly just, oh my goodness, what is going on? And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Anyone here, you ever been betrayed and, and somebody comes and they give you a nice greeting and you're like, what's coming next, man? Set myself up for disappointment right away. I don't know if that's what Mary did, but, but she did not respond well. So where there was that reaction. You know, God is good with that reaction. Uh, I, I think about some guys I've read about in the scripture, like if we go on and we read the story of Zechariah, he goes, how? Like, like no, this can't be. He had this f- response. It was, uh, it was a response of disbelief. When you react in fear toward God, that doesn't necessarily mean it's disbelief. I think about some of the biggest transitions God's brought in my life. My reaction was, I am scared out of my mind right now. And God's going, will you trust me? Well, apparently that was Mary's reaction. Because immediately on that came a reassurance. God doesn't leave us to handle his revelations on our own. He reassures us. He says, Mary, you found favor with God. And you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And this is the angel now speaking to this virgin, and she's going, impossible, impossible, impossible. How can all this stuff happen? But he reassures her, the Lord God will give your son the, thr- the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So this reassurance, packed into this reassurance is this, un- this-, this this extra little bit that basically says, God is asking something from you. God is going to give something to you that's impossible for you to generate on your own. She's a virgin. Remember listening to an atheist professor one time in, uh, in university. And he was talking about this virgin birth. And he says, you know, we figure about one out of every uh, 30,000 women uh, spontaneously conceives. I'm going, really? And where's the proof to that? Well, he didn't really have proof. But he said, you know, statistically speaking, whatever you and your statistics, you know what, virgins don't conceive. We ain't frogs, you know what I mean? You know, I, I, I watched uh, Jurassic Park where they took frog DNA, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Maybe that's not a good illustration. But anyway, you know, <laughs> virgins don't conceive, at least not in our race they don't conceive. And he said, what I'm going to do on you is beyond your ability. So really, all Mary could do is say no to it, or say yes to it. And she, she asked a question. She said, I don't, I don't get it. I have, I have never slept with a man. I'm a virgin. How, how will this happen? I want to say to you that you can ask those questions of God. Like, God, you got my life. How can this happen? I don't understand. It's not wrong to ask questions. When we track Jesus and his disciples over the, over the years through the New Testament, very often they'd watch him do stuff and they wouldn't ask the questions. They would go and mutter among themselves. And Jesus would grab them and say, let me explain this. God is open to your questions. You know how many people over the years I've met who they think questioning God is wrong or it's some kind of rebellion? It's not. God, I don't get this. I do not get this. But you know what, Lord? I am in your hands. Well, the angel actually explained, and with the explanation, he gave a promise. So we've had a revelation, a reaction, a reassurance, and now comes a promise. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of God, most high, will overshadow you. And so the, the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. So he said to Mary, God is going to hover over you, and He is going to form Jesus in your womb. And I want to say to you that that reassurance, that's an amazing reassurance. Because as God reveals himself and puts his call on our lives, he calls us to something impossible. He just wants our surrender. And that's what Mary gives him. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And in that statement, what did Mary do? Mary said, I don't care what it costs me. I know what it's going to cost me, at least some of it. Uh, you know what? She really didn't fully know what it was going to cost her. She knew it was going to cost her a reputation. She knew it could cost her her husband. She knew it could cost her standing in the community. You know, I shared with the kids last night a little bit. Um, you know, in our current culture, people get pregnant out of wedlock. Most people, most people in our culture don't judge that. Oh, you're pregnant. Woohoo! Awesome. That, that's not something our culture is really sensitive about anymore, in large part. But in Mary's culture, that would wipe you out. As a young woman, that would wipe you out in that, in that community. God knew that she needed some support, though, and He sent her to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's her cousin. Elizabeth was carrying a baby, too. John the Baptist was in her belly. And the funny thing is, you know, Mary shows up to, to, to see Elizabeth, and, it, and I don't know, maybe Elizabeth needed maybe she needed convincing too. Maybe Elizabeth had that old legalistic way of thinking too. Maybe she was going to look at Mary and say, you went and did that for crying out loud. Because everybody thought she got pregnant out of, out of wedlock because virgins don't conceive. Well, before she got a chance to make that kind of a re- response, it says the Holy Spirit filled her belly. It came upon the child in her womb. and John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leaped for joy at the presence of his savior which he could sense in the belly of Mary and that joy poured out of John baby John the Baptist through Elizabeth and she began to rejoice blessed are you among women you know God knew that Elizabeth or that Mary needed some support And she gave her someone who would support her, not grudgingly, not because it was the right thing to do, but someone who would support her because that someone knew the rejoicing of God in what was happening. To me, that's an amazing thing. Well, it cost her a lot, and she went on to live this life. What all did it cost her? Oh my goodness, it cost her so much. It cost her her reputation as a young woman, which Joseph later restored, but it went on to cost her. It cost her the stresses of watching what happened to Jesus. She ended up standing at the foot of the cross watching what Jesus did. It says she treasured much of that in her heart, but she didn't fully understand it until after when she looked back on it. Sometimes when God calls us, that's what happens. You say yes to God. I know it's going to cost something. And I will understand it later when God shows me what he's going to do. And sometimes that road of trust is a difficult one, but you embark on it. Sometimes we feel trapped. Trapped. On that road of trust. Whoever's felt that. I gave myself in the hands of God. This is not what I thought it was going to look like. It's costing more than I thought it was going to cost. And I can't seem to get off this road. Thank God that he's faithful to us. And he continues to keep us on the road. And I know that there are people here today walking that kind of road. You feel trapped on that road and you don't have the strength to do that road and I want to say to you that you are in the hands of God. He said you are carved in the palm of my hands. I will not let you go. No one will take you from me and I will complete this road in you. And as you walk that road you will increasingly be convinced that God is dependable and He cannot let me down. Mary's next response was, she reacted in faith, and she began to sing her song, and she said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, I was feeling a little overwhelmed by some of my own life circumstances a while ago, and I was reminded of this passage, and I, I'm not a positive confession guy, you know, for those of you who know me, it drives me nuts when you're saying stuff you really don't believe. So I'm not a positive confession guy. But God laid on my heart, he said, you're in my hands, yeah? Yeah. What do you have to be thankful for? I sat down and made a list of the stuff I had to be thankful for. And I prayed that through. And I began to offer God my, my doubts, my concerns, my questions. And I began to thank him for what he had given me. And I woke up the next morning, and my burden was significantly lighter. And I thought, well, God, what do I have to be thankful for? And of course, one of those things was Jesus. There were so many other things. So I prayed that to God, Lord, I'm thankful. These are the things I'm thankful for. And God began to lift my burden more. And God gives strength to the journey in that manner. That reaction, that praise... Is an act of faith. Well, who is this Jesus that we were offered? I want to take you to John chapter 1. And for those of you who have your book, it's uh, top of the page on chapter 22 called The Birth of the King. This is one of my favorite passages in the world. The promise of of, of Jesus is given to us here. And it says these things about Jesus. This child that would be born of Mary. The descriptions are that He is the promise. It says He came from God. He was sent by God. And I want to say this. Anyone here who responds to Jesus. Jesus has been sent to you. The Holy Spirit sends Him to you. Brings His presence to you. I guess if you look at how Jesus described it. Jesus said, I'm in heaven. I send the Spirit. But Jesus... Presence comes to by his spirit. He's sent. He came from God, it says. Not from someone else. No one can give him to you. Not even a souped up preacher. Uh, you know, I've seen people go to conferences where they wait on the preacher to be done so he can pray for him. It's not necessary that the superstar preacher pray for you. All, really, all we can do is say, let's point our hearts to Jesus. And Jesus will send. It says that he is life. It says that He is eternal life. That's what Jesus does. He is the source of our life. There are people here, you live with a sense of death. Um, I was speaking to somebody here a little while ago, tormented by suicidal thoughts. That death, that stuff comes from the devil. That stuff comes from walking this life on our own strength. Jesus says, I will come and where those thoughts, where those drives live within you that are death oriented, I will be life to you. Not just life for eternity, but life for here right now. Well, it goes on to say that He is light. It says He overcomes the darkness. I jokingly say a lot of times that, how do we get darkness out of a room? We go in, we beat the darkness up, we herd it out the back doors, then we bring the light in. Absolutely not. The way you bring light into a room is you, inv- you turn on a switch, and the light drives the darkness out of the room. It is that way with Jesus. Jesus, He says, I will be the light in your darkness. I think about this woman that I met last week, way out west of here. She began to experience memories that she had thought she had dealt with. And she said, they're not gone. I thought I'd forgiven, they're not gone. That darkness is still in my life. I said, yep. And I said, the reason it's coming up now is because God is putting his finger on it and bringing it to the surface. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and I will come into those places of your life where there are darkness, and I will drive that darkness out. And so, you know, so many of us, we're busy trying to drive the darkness out. We've lost our hope because we can't do it. Jesus says, invite me there. Darkness doesn't interface with me. I will drive it out. He heals wounds, we invite him into the wounds. He reverses Satan's work because Satan cannot stand his presence. If the devil is touching your life, you invite Jesus into that place. Dear Lord Jesus, where the author of darkness has touched my life, I invite you there. I give you lordship there. Come and live there. And Jesus drives the devil out. Well, it goes on to say that he is grace, it says that, the law came through Moses. Law is the Ten Commandments. The law shows the total righteousness of God. The law is good. The law is amazing. But then it goes on to say, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I'm reading that one day and I'm going, Lord, why do I struggle so much with legalism? Why do I struggle so much with performance? Trying to do this to get your approval, to get everybody else's approval. Why? He says, because you're living on the far side of the cross. You are living in the day of Moses. Moses. The law came, it showed the righteousness of God, but we didn't understand it until Jesus. We thought it was a bunch of rules to be lived up to. I reminded my brother who is quadriplegic, got arms and legs, can't make them work. That's the way it is with us and the law. The law is all there, but we can't make it work when we just treat it like rules to live up to. I think about my brother and how happy and how joyous a part of my life he was. And I didn't think about his inabilities. And I think about my son when they put him in my hands and my daughters and my other son and, and how I fell in love with them. And I automatically compensated for their inabilities because that's what a father does. I didn't, that's called grace. I didn't understand that. And I don't apply it to myself so often. Grace and truth. It speaks about Jesus. It says, He shows us the grace of God. The Apostle Paul says that the real purpose of the Ten Commandments, A is to show us God's righteousness, B is to show us we can't do it on our own, C is to drive us to the cross in that place of surrender that we may receive His strength to live. He is grace. What does grace mean? It means He brings what we need and what we can't produce on our own. So the situations you walk, the relationships that you walk, you can't fix God brings grace for that. He will bring love to you where you cannot be loved. I've walked with a young gentleman for the last eight months or so in a certain context. And him and I studied this and he has not been able to get over his self-hatred until finally about two weeks ago, God, God did this shift in him. There was this breakthrough and he's going, it doesn't depend on me. And he shifted from the far side of the cross to the near side of the cross. And he finally realized, God is not interested in my performance. God is interested in my surrender. And He will bring what I need. What are your needs? This Jesus that will be poured through you into this world will meet them. It says He is the truth. Truth is not always easy to face. You know, I was reading about post-millennials. Uh, just recently. There was this article out and they were talking about post-millennials. What do post-millennials want in church? 2% of post-millennials are apparently going to church. The rest of them have ditched church. Um, What do post-millennials want in church? One of the things it said was truth. So I went to my post-millennial daughter who's struggling with church and I said, what do you want? She said, I want truth, man. I don't want phoniness. I don't want fakeness. I want real So much for all of the youth speaking strategies where you get up and entertain people, right? All they see is more phoniness. So I'll give you a reel. Okay. That's what Jesus says too. What Jesus does, it says he is truth. And that means he's truth about us. When you stand and stare into the eyes of Jesus, Peter's response was this, Oh Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. The truth of Jesus will show us It will strip away the veneers. It will reveal our hearts. It will reveal our weaknesses. It will reveal our needs. But more than that, it will reveal our value. For Jesus looked into the eyes of Peter and laid a call on his life. The angel Gabriel stood before Mary and said, You who are highly favored God wants to pour something through you into this world. Our value in God's eyes is unquestioned. Our value in God's eyes is the value of Jesus. Because Jesus gave His life for us, it's what our purchase price was. To buy us away from sin and the clutches of the enemy. There is no condemnation in the the gaze of Jesus. There's the love of God expressed there. Well, he is truth about God's love for us. And he is truth about our need to trust him. And God will say, will you trust me? It says more than that. It says Jesus brings power. It says for those who believe in him and receive him. He gives them the power to be the children of God. He pours His Spirit through us. And He takes us on the journey of life. So who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. I've watched people on their deathbed finally get this And, and, and appropriate it. As they struggle looking into eternity. More than one person, I, I, I've gone, God, what do I say? Tell them tell the core thing. Do you believe Jesus died to forgive your sins, rose from the dead to give you eternal life? Yeah. Good. Then he's got some strength he wants to pour into you for the next transition right now. Pray with me. And I have watched the peace settle upon tortured minds and tortured hearts. It's real. Jesus is the promised one. It is not about us and our performance. Why do you think he chose Mary? He chose Mary probably partly because she was simple in her faith. But more than that, because she didn't have the power to do big grandiose things. Like we so often think you got to have. What do you have to offer? Maybe you say, I'm just a young man, a young woman. Maybe I don't have much to offer. Maybe you think, I'm an old man who's used up my chances. Or an old woman who's used up my chances. Maybe you're a middle-aged person who's disillusioned and trying to figure out a new road. It don't matter. Jesus comes to be poured through our lives today. Question. If God came to you and said, I want to use you to bring someone into this world who would change everything, what will you say? Who here would say yes to that? Supposing that yes comes with a cost. It may come with the cost of your selfish lifestyle. It it might make things uncomfortable. It might cost your reputation, friends, your future as you planned it. Who here will say yes to that? I want to encourage you in that act of surrender. I want to direct you back to Mary. Mary's response is the best response. It's an amazing response. Be it done to me as you have said, I am your bondservant. You know what a bondservant is? Bondservant is someone who has been a servant. They've been a slave to somebody. And they might have started that way unwillingly. On the old Jewish culture, that slavery went for seven years and your debts were written off and you were set free. But the bondservant, somehow in that time of slavery, fell in love with their master and said, Master, I want you to be my master forever, and I will do it because now of love, not obligation. That's what Mary said. Lord, I am your bondslave. I am sold to you forever. You own me. Be it done to me as you have said. It's a prayer of ultimate surrender. She didn't know how to make happen what God was going to do. That's not required. All God is asking is that ultimate surrender. For those of you that God is speaking here in this place, God has got a touch on your life, and He wants to pour something into your life and through your life into this world. Are you ready? If you're ready, if you have that touch, that calling, I want to ask you to pray with me. Pray with me out loud. I want to lead you in the words. All you got to do is mean them. Point your heart to God, He will do the rest. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, Jesus. I come to you as I am. You You have shown yourself to me, You 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 have put your hand on my life, you have asked for my surrender. And I'm ready to trade it all to follow you. I now give myself to you. You are the Son of God. You are the promised one. You were grace. You are truth. You are the light that destroys my darkness. I invite you into my life. I am your bondservant. And I say, be it done to me as you have said. Lord, I love you. Receive my love. I now receive your love. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Buy your hearts to God and receive His benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for the morning. Be encouraged.